0: could love like this that the father would give his own son for your sin my sin lord we thank you for that that you have canceled the record of debt and any record of debt that we owe you by nailing it on the cross lord we thank you and praise you for that that you have wiped it all away for all of us who call upon the lord jesus christ That you've accomplished redemption for us in this world, in real time, with real blood, a real life, so that we would have true life. That we would not rest on our own vain assumptions of the meaning of life or the purpose of our eternity. But that you have actually made the transaction by your own blood, perfect, righteous living, the life that none of us could ever live. You've given it for us. Lord, help us to open up our hearts and our hands as you have opened up toward us. Let us freely give as we have freely received. Let us be full of love and light. Lord, let your glory shine in us and about us and among us. Lord, let us truly worship you. We seek, Lord, to worship you with all our hearts, all our souls, all our mind, all of our strength. So, Lord, now we ask you to open up your word to us. We ask you to speak to us by the power of your spirit so that we would see the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we know that there are many here who suffer. Lord, we pray that you would teach us to love one another, to be the church you have called us to be, to be obedient out of love and to serve. Lord, we need your word here now to instruct us, Lord, for we know nothing. We come to you as children We come with no assumptions or presumptions on our own. We seek to learn. We seek to sit at your feet and be quiet as you talk. So please have this be the case. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we are in Joshua 5. Um, So we are doing a sermon series um, on singing songs. Uh, It goes to eat food, sing songs, and slay the dragon. And the the dragon's out back in the field. We'll get to that eventually. We keep one on hand just so we can do some lessons on that. Um, but no, really, the food section we have completed. Uh, we looked at how Jesus ate food. Uh, this will begin the second part in this sermon series on singing. Uh, we're going to look particularly how uh, Jesus sang, but really the whole point of singing and how we really bring up a lot of Uh, unhealthy assumptions into what it means for us as a church to sing. It's not just an art form. Uh, You'll see this in uh, Joshua 5. If you turn there, there's many models, many plans to have a healthy church and to put the uh, image of what a healthy church could be, though not exhaustive. It would be that we do eat food, we do sing songs, and we do actually slay the dragon, the real dragon, not a metaphorical dragon like Satan himself. We are in a spiritual war. And this is the reality that we live in as Christians. We are not naive or foolish as the world were to see us to be foolish, to be talking about such things. But then again, the world is very evil. And we are truly in this war. And here we jump in to a section in Joshua 5, in which <coughs> Israel is in war. Uh, they are under the command of a man named Joshua. And they are to take the land, the land which is today presently Israel. It was a commission given to them to do this thing. And we're told at the very beginning of Joshua, God comes to him and says, If you will obey all of my commands, if you will do everything that I command you and say for you to do, then you will prosper and you will be victorious. And so the whole book of Joshua is this one principle being laid out. Will the people of God simply just do what God commands them to do? And any time they don't, any time they deviate from God's simple commands, they always end up losing the battle. And every time they are simple and just trust the Lord to do what he says, they end up winning and winning wonderfully. Here we have the beginning of this whole campaign where Joshua begins uh, to approach and he finds a man standing there with a drawn sword. This is Joshua 5.13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or our adversaries? And he said, No. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and he worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place in which you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho, this city that they are seeking to take, was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out, and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, with its king and its mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city with all the men of war, going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant. And let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward blowing the trumpets with the ark of the covenant of the Lord following them, the armed men before walking before them and the priests who were blowing the trumpets and the rear guard was walking after the ark while the trumpets blew continually. The whole time the trumpets blowing. But Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard. Neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout then you shall shout so he caused the ark of the lord to circle the city going about it once and then they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp then joshua rose early in the morning and the priest took up the ark of the lord and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of the ram's horns before the ark of the lord walked on and they blew the trumpets continually and the armed men were walking before them and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord, while the trumpet blew continually. And the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp, and so they did this for six days. And then on the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times this time. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpet. Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to destruction. And it continues that the walls fell in their place and the people took the city. Now that story, this reality of Israel's way of conducting warfare, is that they marched around this city multiple times, And they made a lot of noise. And that's usually not how you would try to take a city. That's what God told them to do. And I want to, this morning, pause and look at this and say, why? Like, what is this story? Why is this an important thing? It has a lot to do with spiritual warfare and sound. we were discussing in the past so many weeks through these sermon series how jesus ate food and when he had finished his most important meal that meal called the last supper the passover meal he took with his disciples he broke bread and he said this is my body i'm giving it for you and then he lifted up a cup and he said this is this is the blood of the new covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of your sins and mine. And we're told in Matthew 26:30 that after he had done this, after he had eaten with his disciples, that he sang hymns with them. After he had eaten, he sang hymns and moved on to the cross to accomplish what he said. He went to conquer the world. Singing was one of the last things he ever did before being taken captive and put on a tree for you. And this strikes at a theme that God is intent on conquering the world through music, through sound. And here's one of the beginning stories of it, is that he would decide to take a city this way. Out of all the other ways, he could have done it. (coughs) Jewish tradition says that the last song that they would sing at the Passover meal had to do with the Hallel Psalms. In the book of Psalms, there's a series of Psalms that go from Psalm 113 to 118. And it's believed that that's the thing that Jesus sang after that meal. Like all the Jewish people would have done at that time. And the last of those Psalms, one of the final verses says this. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is what Jesus sang as he went to the cross and conquered the world. And if you think I mean that metaphorically, I do not. He is Lord of the atoms, He is Lord of this room, not high spiritual things. He is truly Lord as real as his incarnate body is truly real. And he did that by singing. And he didn't even raise his hand to fight, yet he won. Now you and I as a church, we are called to do what? To fight this world with the methods of this world and be just one more page in human history of other humans killing other humans. We are called to sing. And it wouldn't make sense, but then again, neither does the story. Colossians 3.16 says this, "'Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, "'teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom.' Singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness to God from all your heart. That is what we are called to do. This is the clear command. This is a commission given to us as disciples of Christ. To follow in his steps. Not only to eat the way he did. Oh, but we should sing the way he sang. And we are given that right. That at the last time of Jesus' life, he was singing psalms unto his death. And that death was his victory. That we will be singing psalms here. And that will be the destruction of this world. That will be the end of the age of man. Sinful, fallen humanity. That these songs will usher in a new creation. They will usher in the end of the world. Where he will wipe every tear from our eye. And there will be sin no more. And he will swallow up death as he drank that cup. And it will be gone. And he will do it singing. Not with machine guns or bombs. He'll do it, and this is how God would want to do it laughing at us in all of our evil and violence. He will destroy us through singing. But his destruction of us is only for our good, because he brings in a new creation. Here is the story. So you might say, all right, so let's just sing. The verse says here, Colossians 3, sing. Psalms, hymns, surgery, songs, that's good. Let's just sing and move on. Why would we have to do a series of sermons on singing? Just that we should sing. Well, it's actually very important, I believe, to do this. Hence the reason I made the sermon series. But really, it is important. Because we view music differently than the ancients did. We view music as a source of entertainment. We view music as a source of artistic beauty, emotional relief, a catharsis of something that we have. We need a good song. If you're uh, working out really heavy, you listen to rock. If you're really sad, you listen to this. If you want to be inspired, you listen to classical. You know, th- there's a, th- that's true. There is, outside of the realm of worship, music in general is just a gift given to us. It is a cultural treasure. Steve Jobs is famously quoted one time at a uh, convention for Apple. He invited the famous uh, Chinese celloist Yo-Yo Ma into uh, one of their events. And if you've ever heard that, it's pretty hard to argue that that's not some of the most beautiful music in the world. And you might argue that, and you'd be right, because how can I argue that your opinion's better than anyone else's? So maybe it isn't. But it is beautiful. It is One person actually said a great argument for God is uh, Johann Sebastian Bach exists, therefore God exists. There's something to that. See, what Steve Jobs said is after Yo-Yo Ma went up there with his cello and performed this amazing music for them, he said, you playing is the best argument I've ever heard for the existence of God. There's something beautiful to it. There's something transcendent to music and how it, it captures something that is not of this world that we just have in logic and reason. It's beautiful. It's a gift. It's a cultural gift. But for us, we have to dissect that. that my purpose is here is to let that go. Acknowledge it, music, for its beauty and for what it is, aesthetically pleasing. And let that go away. Because our business is much more serious than that. God did not call the church to start rock concerts. God did not call the church to make a stage with lights and smokescreen to entertain people. We, that is trifles. Leave that for Bono. Like, we don't need that. We are called to conquer the world because Jesus Christ is Lord. So, we need to pause for a minute and truly consider... What is our music? How do we worship as a church? For music in scripture singing is is business. It is serious business. It is in in a lot of ways it is warfare. Singing worship is <coughs> singing in the presence of God. We are singing in the presence of God. That's different than anything We are singing because he told us to sing. We are singing because our singing is a prayer. There's a vertical aspect to our singing in which we are uttering prayers to the eternal, ever-existing, all-powerful, transcendent creator of the universe. To forget that at any point, we lose our purpose. It is singing and it is also teaching. We sing to each other. We encourage one another. We sing to one another weekly so that we would remember that the world is crazy. We are not crazy. Jesus Christ is Lord. You are not nuts when you go back out there tomorrow and remember that no one else sees Jesus for who he is. You are not the only one. He is Lord. And we sing for that purpose. And we sing thirdly because singing is spiritual warfare. Singing is... Is warfare. One person said, R.W. Dell, a pastor about a hundred or so years ago, said, Let me write the hymns to the church. I care not who writes her theology. What we sing is what we believe. Most of us will not read a four-volume systematic theology. But most of us will never forget the songs we sing in this church. What you sing will influence you either in truth for who God really is or you'll be moved by the emotion and the song to be singing lies about God because they are lies. Singing is very important. And so if someone were to say, what is New Life Presbyterian Church like? Think about this experience in the community. Someone says, what is it? Well, you go to New Life Church. What is it like there? And maybe someone could say, Well, um, they have a really good um, children's ministry. They take it very seriously to train children to be dangerous for Christ, to know the Scriptures, and to know their worldviews. That'd be a good answer. That'd be great to say. As a pastor, I'd be happy to hear that. Or someone could say, they have a very compassionate uh, mercy ministry. This church really cares about those in the community to serve and love them. I I could go to sleep on that one. I'd be happy to hear that. But then they say, no, but what's the worship like? What's the, what's the service like at New Life? And if someone says, well, you know, that guitar is really good. Or the voice sounds really nice. Or it's really artistic and beautiful. It's, it, it feels good. I would feel as though I failed as a pastor. My goal and the biblical grounds for it here is that if someone were to ask, what is it like to worship at New Life? The aim, the goal, the best response in my mind would be, it is like the sound of many voices. It is like the sound of many waters. It's the sound of God's people. Not caring exactly how much they sound, but knowing that they are alive in Christ, And they are given a unique opportunity to lift their voice as high as they can so that everyone else would hear, so that God would hear, the angels would hear, the demons would shudder. It is like the sound of many waters. If that would be our goal, I would have prepared you well. Revelation 19, because that is where we're going. Then I heard what seemed to be a voice. John is seeing 144,000. Well, actually, no, he's hearing them. A great multitude, like the roar of many waters, singing, hallelujah, for the Lord our God Almighty reigns. And singing that over and over and over. That is where we're going. And it is the voice of a great multitude of voices. A voice that is not so uniquely choreographed as so as to be perfect in harmony but it sounds like being next to the Niagara Falls. It's it's not perfectly in tune but it is awe-inspiring. It is so many voices. It is like the falling of so much water within so much chaos but still this idea of order of thousands of thousands praising the name of Jesus. Now if we could in any way by God's grace mimic that experience in some way here we would be doing well. Our vision for singing would not be short-sighted. For this is the end of the vision of it all. And notice also, in this Revelation 19, they say, let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory. And they say, for the marriage, supper of the Lamb has come. We're eating again. There will be tremendous tumult of an avalanche water flow of voices of redeemed souls praising God and we will be around a table and we will be eating in the presence of Christ our Lord. Now if we can remember that how we eat and how we sing and where we're going we will do well. We will do well. We will not be ashamed of our ministry here. We will not give ourselves to foolish things. (coughs) Until that day, we will have to learn to sing. This is the practice session. This is how we get ready for that. We are practicing. We are getting ready for this great choir. (coughs) See, there is a difference between worship music and worship music. There is music you use to worship. And there is music that you do worship. Worshiping music. I don't like that song. That doesn't really strike me. I don't really doesn't, really doesn't remove my emotional strings. Who cares? Don't worship the music. Worship him with the music. Like, that, is, that is the point of this sermon series in some way. To say we don't understand what music is for biblically. It is a method of warfare. It is a method of warfare. To say musical arts and martial arts in the scriptures are not very far apart. Musical arts and martial arts, and I don't mean jujitsu or kung fu or all that. I mean the art, martial is war. The Roman god Mars was the god of war. Martial arts is the art of war, sun tzu kind of thing. How to fight, how to win on the battlefield. What is your art of war? Your martial art biblically, is also your musical art. This is how God wages war in this world through us. David was a man of war. If you know the King David through the Old Testament, he killed a lot of people. He was very good at killing people. He knew how to bend a bow, and he had the strength and the discipline to do it well. David was also a man of music. The majority of the psalms, or a large portion of them, were written by him. He could bend the string of a bow. He could bend the string of a guitar or a lyre in those days and play the best song and kill the strongest soldier all on the same day. Martial arts, musical arts, this is a theme in Scripture we must know. Second Chronicles 20, <coughs> 20 Jehoshaphat, a king in Judah, is going to war. And on the battlefield, the front line of his battle, he sends out the choir. He sends out those who sing. And the soldiers follow. They went into war singing. Because this is the thing we must know about our music. We are not just doing music. We are praying to God. We are calling down God's wrath or justice or, or mercy through our music. There is a vertical relation. It is like a radio airwaves for air, air control or power uh, in, in military. It was, it was a strategic point in a real king's battle plan was to have the choir go before the soldiers. Second Chronicles twenty twenty. Consider that. The first song that Israel ever sang in Exodus 15 was a war song. It was a worship song and it was a war song. It was a song celebrating the fact that God had destroyed Egypt in battle. That was the first song they ever sang as a nation. In Exodus 15 it says, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. He has won. I will sing now because he has won. Worship. Warfare. He says the horse. And its rider, he is thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my song. He has become my salvation. And the song continues to say, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. This is how we biblically should think of our music. This is how we should see it as warfare. And so here you have a man named Joshua who is approaching a city. And he is here to, co- to conduct war. He is here to take that city. No other way about it. He is here to destroy. And the amazing command given to him had nothing to do with what we would call warfare. It had everything to do with sound waves. Which is remarkable. Now, I know they didn't sing, they were shouting. And you're probably thinking to yourself, why would you pull out this verse that's talking actually about shouting, not even singing? You think maybe that explains uh, why I sound the way I do on a Sunday morning. Uh, he doesn't know the difference between shouting or singing. Uh, well, I do know, contrary to appearances, I do know that's me trying to sing. So that, I'm not try, actually trying to shout. I'm trying to keep tune. Um, so I don't have a mic, if you notice, when I'm up here. Um, they are shouting. I'm using the argument to say this. I don't care. God doesn't care how good you sound. The point being of this example I'm arguing from the lesser to the greater. If he can do this with a bunch of men just screaming, then don't worry about how you sound and start singing. Don't worry about how you sound and realize that you are part of this warfare. You did not get out of bed in the morning to just come here and enjoy a sermon. You came here to wrestle against dominions and powers and authorities in the high places. You came here to conduct spiritual warfare. That's where I'm, that's the distinction I'm trying to pull out. We don't see that. We don't understand that in our culture. That is why we sing. And so here we have Joshua, and he is approaching. And this man <coughs> is there with a drawn sword. And we're told that he is a commander of the Lord's army. And now Joshua comes to him and says, "Are you for us or for our enemies?" He just sees a man standing in a field. With a sword drawn, is he a friend, is he a foe? And the man's answer is beautiful, it's wonderful. He says, no. No, that's a false dichotomy, it's a false way of thinking. I am not for you, I am not for them. I am, and he induces himself, commander of the Lord's army. The Lord's army, the angelic host, the the actual spiritual realm of battle that fights to the unseen eye. That's where I'm fighting from. So the beginning of this whole story is prefaced on, this is not a normal war. This is truly a holy war, a spiritual war. And so Joshua falls to the ground immediately in worship. It could mean he bowed or worshipped him. And then he says, take off your sandals for the place in which you stand is holy. This is not a normal war. It's as if I were to go into your house and maybe have carpet or hardwood and I say, hey, should I take my shoes off? See, Joshua had entered into the domain, unique domain of God's holy presence on earth. And God said, take your shoes off. This is is my place now. Anywhere I stand is my place. This is my house now. Take your shoes off. Don't bring your dirt in here. Don't bring your sin in here. I'm holy. You realize that's a hint to know that what's going to happen next is probably not going to be normal warfare. Something is going to happen. And so he gives them these clear commandments. This man of war says to march around the city six times in six days, and on the seventh day, march seven times to final it off, blowing trumpets the whole time. The procession was to have soldiers, then seven Levites, priests, the worship leaders. The worship leaders are right next to the soldiers. The guy with the sword and the guy with the trumpet right next to each other. This is, the, this is the synthesis I'm trying to bring us into the modern world. The sword and the trumpet are very close as far as we're concerned. So you have soldiers, you have worship leaders, you have the <coughs> Levites actually holding the ark, the box, which was to, to be the footstool of God. The place where he rested his feet, while he sat on his throne. Heaven was his throne. The ark, the, the, the world is his footstool. The unique place where he puts his feet on the world is that ark. And so they are chauffeuring as a sedan you would with a king, carrying him around in paratal, triumphal procession. Triumphal procession before the battle's won. He's carrying carrying them around in this ark, the very presence of God represented by that ark to say this is the Lord's land these are his people. And these trumpets represent his presence coming. And on the seventh day, they circled (coughs) seven times. And on that final seventh day, they blew the trumpets. And everybody who said nothing that whole time, on obedience to their voice, when God said, talk, they talked. When God said, don't talk, they didn't talk. Simple as that. When God said, it's time for you to yell now, Their yelling, their voice, actually was a causal part of the walls of an enemy citadel falling and crumbling under its weight. That's called spiritual warfare. That's called being obedient to what God tells you to do and singing, yelling, doing anything you need to do with your vocal cords at the time he says to do it. Just think about that. And here we have our Lord saying, every seventh day, I'll call it my Lord's Day. And I would like all my people to come. And at that time, on that seventh day, I would like you all to sing. Would you have been a soldier here thinking, this is ridiculous. This is not how we're going to win. This is exactly how we're going to win. Would you have come to church and said, this song doesn't really... This song's a little ridiculous. Who cares? I don't care. God said to sing. Did he not die and rise? Does that, is it, if we were just to do that and really sing. I know I would have been one of the soldiers a little skeptical. Hey, you guys think we're really going to take this wall down? Just do what he says. Just do what he says. It's spiritual warfare. He loves childlike faith. He loves it when we just... Listen and love. So this is the thing in which everyone actually ends up dying from this. This is spiritual warfare. Now, this is not Israel fighting some other nation. They destroy the whole city. And it says, men, women, children, all the animals die. And many read passages like this and realize the God of the Old Testament is so wrathful. And how could that be? And where's the ethics behind this? And Well, go to Deuteronomy 20. That's where your Old Testament Geneva Convention is, the regular terms of war. Offer terms of peace, don't kill the women and children, do the minimal damage you have to do to win the war. That was the ethics of the Old Testament. This is a unique war. This is a war where God is wholly demonstrating his power to destroy because there are sinful people that, want, that have to be put to death. And God is allowed to do that. The men that died in that city, the women that died in that city, yes, the children that died in that city are children that had life because of God. God gave them life and God took their life. God did them no the wrong. God did them no the wrong. That is the concept of understanding who we are talking about when we say the one true, holy, living God. That he gives life and takes life and no one should say anything. When, what has he ever taken from you that is not his? When has he ever wronged you? It is impossible. And it was that time for that city to be gone. Because God said it's time for that city to be gone. But see, it wasn't Israel. It wasn't some race thing or national thing. This was not normal war. For there's so many reasons. First, the commander of the Lord's army, the question was, are you for us or are you for them? And he said, no, this is my war. I'm fighting a war. And then the other thing is, you come into the presence of God. This war has to do with God's holy presence. The sandals have to come off and the trumpets have to come out. Trumpets, everywhere in Scripture symbolize the entering in, the breaking in of God's presence into this world. Paul, book of Thessalonians, he said, in the second coming, the last trumpet will sound. That's when Jesus comes down. You're going to hear really loud trumpets. Because it's like he's here. But even the first time, way back on the mountain, God came down on a mountain called Sinai. And there the mountain was covered with smoke and clouds and thunder and it was holy and no one could approach it. The same thing with Joshua. You can't come in to God's holy presence willy-nilly. But then at the same time that God came down on that mountain, His holy presence fell upon the earth. We're told that there were very loud trumpets throughout the whole thing. And the actual loudness of those trumpets only continued to successively become louder and louder. And the people could not stand near the mountain. They were petrified and they ran away. When you hear those trumpets, you know things are going to get real, real quick. They circled the city six times with those trumpets saying, by the way, you should probably repent of your sins. But the world would look at the church and say, you foolish Christians, blowing your trumpets. We have all the nukes and the bombs and we're really fighting war over here and you guys are having a little child's play game just singing songs. Uh -uh. No, the point of this sermon series is to say, we have the upper hand. The point of this story is to say, Israel knew what they were doing. Well, God knew what they were doing. Israel Israel's obeying. Now, will you sing? God knows how he's going to conquer the world. And it looks foolishness to the world. It always looks foolishness to the world. That's why they rejected him as the Messiah. There's no way he would be the Messiah who dies on a cross. There's no way the church would win by singing songs. But yes, we will. And so here, you find them just blasting trumpets. From a distance, probably far enough to keep away from the archers on the wall. But they circle around the city once, just blasting trumpets. And then, why did they circle? People who study ancient cultures use the word circumambulation. When a pharaoh in the ancient world became a new king, he would circle the cities that he owned. He would t- be taken on a parade to go around the city be by chariot and caravan to demonstrate that he was the king of this domain. What they are doing, and very clear to them in their culture, is Yahweh was claiming, this right here is mine. This is mine. And he did it six times to say it's mine. And on the seventh time, he said, now go take it. And he brought this walls down. The reason they came down, though, and the point to close to remember, is because... On that seventh day, the final trumpet, seven cycles, said, yell with your voice. God could have done it a bunch of different ways. He wanted to do it that way. Let your voice bring down the kingdom of men. The only thing that we could maybe do is, if you have a very well-trained voice, You could, you could resonate. You could resonate on a wine glass. And the sound waves of your vocal cords, if you hit that glass and it dings, you hear a note. If you can mimic that note with your voice, the sound waves will reverberate through the wine glass. If you hold that note long enough, if you're disciplined enough with your vocal cords long enough, you can actually crack the wine glass. The kingdoms of men Are citadels of crystal. They're fragile fortresses. There is nothing we must do except sing. Praise God. Pray to Him. Call out for His work and realize that it was Jesus singing as He went to the cross for you. That all of your sin, everything was gone. He took all of your record of debt. Everything. And he pounded it to the cross through his own hand. Colossians says, all your record of debt, everything you ever could have against God, you and him to be at odds, were in the palm of Jesus that he nailed it to the cross. And it was through there as he sang in praise to God for you, knowing what was for him on that tree, because he loves you like that. And he conquered the world that way. And we have a song to sing now. We have a song to sing about the resurrected Lord of glory. And there is no domain of man that can resist the sound waves of this praise. And so we will sing. We will sing on the seventh day as they sang on that seventh day. And the walls came down. So let us get serious about that and sing. Dear Father God, Lord, we thank you for this truth. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes to see what music really is not from our own cultural vantage point, point, but from what you've called us to do in this unique body as an assembled congregation to worship, an assembled congregation to warfare. Dear Father God, please accomplish this in us, even now as we sing before you to close our time before your face. Amen.